Sorry, can't get myself together here. Um, hey, good morning. The early crowd. You're awake. Come on. Good morning. Are we good? All right. Um, I'm still getting used to this. It's only one weekend. Um, no coffee, so bear with me. Pray for me. It's going to be great. Um, but it's awesome to be able to gather. Um, it's so good to see all of you. Uh, I just want to say two things. One, I want to say thanks to Ed and Hannah especially, but also to Gabby and Lindsay and everybody that's been working on our kids' area downstairs. Uh, this has definitely been a labor of love, and I do encourage you to go check it out. Um, it's, it is really cool just to see that area come together. Um, and so I just want to thank them so much just for all their work. I also want to thank uh, all of our parents just for your patience within this. Uh, we definitely, uh, just the reality of work right now coming into the new COVID life and world, uh, this was supposed to be done at the end of July, then it was supposed to be done today, now it's going to be done in two weeks. And uh, we're hoping that's the last time we're going to have to be able to push it back, but it's definitely looking awesome. I mean, we, we actually even ordered new signage for the building, like the corner and the side, and that was supposed to be done by Easter, and we just got the permits approved. So if that just tells you, it's like kind of all-encompassing in everything. Um, but I just, I know that for parents, it's been difficult, and so we just really appreciate your patience and really pumped to be able to open things up in two weeks and excited for that. Um, fall is upon us, as much as I am still in denial of that fact, and school has started, and that's really kind of unavoidable. Um, and to kick off this new season that we're moving into, we're doing a new series called Rally. Now, think back to high school and new sports season starting after the summer. Students who have been avoiding school all summer are regather by force or by choice. Teams start conditioning, practicing, and usually at some point before the first game, there's some type of pep rally. If it's the homecoming game, alumni might be there, but it's a time to reignite the school spirit, to reignite school pride, a time to get pumped about who you are as a school and the game that's coming up, a time to get ready for what's ahead. Now, this is obviously not the church, but we need the spirit of this idea. We need to rally together. If you look up the word rally in the dictionary, the definition we're kind of focusing on here is to come together again in order to continue going after a defeat or dispersion. Now, the reality is, is that we're not defeated. We haven't lost anything, but we have been dispersed. For a while, we were completely separated from one another, except for screens. Even as things have been transformed and starting to reopen and being reopened over the last year, it can still feel very fragmented, apart more than together. As people figure out their new normal, as people travel and enjoy summer and being out of quarantine, and in even some reloading, relocating to other places, through all the craziness of it all, it's easy to drift, to drift and forget who we are, to forget what the church is about, and forget our place within it. And so this is a time to regroup. That's what this rally idea is, is about. It's a time to bring it together. It's a time to get the family back together. And that's what this whole month, even moving in, carrying the theme into the fall, is going to be about. Rallying together to recommit to who we are in Jesus, to reconnect with one another as a church, and to refocus on Jesus' call for us. New Life's 
purpose statement, our vision statement, is to be a family of love who cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus. This is what our church is about. This is when we look at what God calls us to be, how he describes the church, how we would personalize those teachings, and how we are going to implement them is within this idea, to be a family of love who cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Christ. And so over the next three weeks, we want to go through this statement one phrase at a time, rooted primarily in the book of Acts and what we saw happening in the church and how the church started and how the church was unleashed to, to advance the kingdom so where we can be seeing how we're supposed to be as the church. And so each week we're going to take it one bit at a time as we look at this idea of rallying together. Before we jump into the first part, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the fact that we can be here, that we can be in your presence. Whether we're sitting in the pews, whether we're watching online, God, we know that you are present with us. We know that we are one with you and you are what unites us together. It's because of you. It's because of who you are. It's because of what you've done. And we are grateful for the God you are. God, I pray that you would make us aware of your presence. I pray that you would make us aware of your love for us, of your truth. I pray you would speak to us as a community, as a family this morning, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would say exactly the things that we need to hear. And so speak into this place, Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we want to remember to rally around, to focus on, is this first phrase that we want to be, that the church is to be a family of love. Yesterday was 9-11. It's really hard to imagine that it has been 20 years since that horrific day. Some of you remember exactly where you were that morning, some of you were not alive to have a memory about where you were that morning. And it's even weird the fact we're getting to that place. Um, whatever your experience with the day was, it is a day that we look back to for how it impacted not only our country, but for the how it impacted the world. How it changed so much as history moved forward. For those of you who were not around then or who were too young to just kind of sense it or know it then, it is difficult to explain the sense of connectedness and unity that happened in the days thereafter. Not perfectly and not like there was just arms all over America linked together, but there was a sense of unity, of healthy patriotism, of camaraderie, like nothing I had at least experienced up until that point. For a little while from the horror of that day, what happened that day produced something beautiful in our country. Again, I'd probably say it didn't last a long time, but for a little bit, it was there. Our passage this morning that we want to hone in on is about a different day with similar results. It wasn't a horrible day. It was actually a phenomenal day. If 9-11 was a day of evil, the day that we're going to look at is the polar opposite. It is a day of God's goodness, of the work of God transforming human history. It's in Acts 2 when we have Pentecost. So if you, want to, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Acts 2, that's where we're going to be at today. 
Acts 2 moves at a really fast pace. It's all about the Feast of Pentecost. It's about the day that Jesus' promise came true of sending a helper to his followers. The Holy Spirit had come. After this, the Apostle Peter gives a powerful sermon and 3,000 come into the new church. This is a transforming, world-changing, history-changing day. A day like no other, only comparable to the day, weekend of the crucifixion and resurrection. A history-changing day. And at the end of it, after this day happens, we read Acts 2, 42-47, where we see not only the start of the church, but what they were like, what defined them as a people. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see 9-11 was a day of evil that produced this sense of camaraderie, unity, and patriotism in our country. Pentecost was a day of God's power and promises, transforming history. And what did it do to a group of people? But it bound them and united them around the reality of who they were in God and what God was doing. And the church was born. This is a paragraph that we want to look at as we think about what does it mean to be a family of love? Now, before we get into the specifics of this paragraph, there's one thing we want to establish right away. We want to ask the question, why did this community rally together? And the answer is simple but powerful. Because of God Almighty. Why did they rally? Why were they together? Because of God. Because of God, God had transformed their lives. They had experienced his supernatural presence. They were seeing his impact not only on their lives, but on the lives of people around them. Jesus had rose from the dead. He was the Messiah. Jesus was offering them new life, and they saw the transformation before their eyes. They were not rallying together to see some friends. Even though that was probably a little bit of a plus residual benefit to it. They weren't rallying together simply because they had a bad week and they needed an encouragement. Again, still probably a little bit of a part of it, but not the reason. They weren't rallying together simply because they felt obligated or they would feel guilty if they didn't. They were rallying together because of God. They were rallying together because God is awesome. They were rallying together because they knew they needed him. They saw how he was changing their life, and they saw how he was changing others. And it drove them to be together. After hearing Peter preach that day, they asked him, What should we do? What should we do? And he said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, we are not called to go back to Pentecost. We're called to live in light of Pentecost. We're not called to get back to Acts. We're called to live in light of what God did in Acts. But this invitation is for us as well as them. The reality that we need to repent of who we are, of our own doings, of our sins and failures, and acknowledge our need to, of God. To, p- allow, to commit who we are and put our faith in him. Being baptized, publicly proclaiming, I am his follower. He has given me life. That, that invitation is to you. God is offering you. God forgives us of our sins. He heals our brokenness, makes us part of his community, makes us part of what he is doing in the world. He offers that what our hearts are longing for. And if you have never put your faith in him, let today be the day that you do that. And if you have never put your faith in them, then you are missing out of the fullness of why we gather. Or if you have missed the joy of what God has done in your life, then you have missed the essence of why we gather. We have to remember, why are we here? Why are you here? Why are you gathering? Why are you watching? It has to be about what God has done. We can't forget that. Why are people not gathering? At what point is COVID an excuse instead of a reason? Pastor John Tyson said this, When you gather in Jesus' name, no matter how small or large the assembly, you are bearing witness before the powers that be that you cannot be bored. Your heart will remain steadfast, your resistance potent, and your vision glorious. Repentance and worship become your rhythm, and idols are resisted and replaced. Tiny outposts of worship can defy principalities, reconcile communities, transform history. God is at war for the love of your heart. I love what he says there. We are saying that we will not be bored. I have a preteen and a teenager right now, so we hear the word uh, phrase, I'm bored, a lot in our house. And the response is always the same. Boredom is a choice. So if you're bored, you must be a boring person. You need to find something to do. And you know what? The reality is, is that if you are bored in your spiritual life, you have to ask yourself, are you boring spiritually? Are you leaning into the presence of God? Are you enamored with the awe of God? Are you focused on the reality of Him? Because if you're not, your eyes are on boring things. But when our pursuit is Him, when our focus is Him, when we are enamored with Him, we will not be bored. We will do everything we can that the love of our heart would be directed toward Him. And that's why what Tyson, Pastor Tyson says after that is really powerful and important for us to heed. He says this, We cannot therefore let busy schedules, kids' sporting events, vacations, holidays, and personal preferences take priority over our call to worship. If we are not careful without meaning to, we will give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This means we become more shaped by the rhythms of the culture rather than the gospel and our hearts are prone to wander. The last 18 months have given our hearts 
that are prone to wander permission to do so. And in that, we now have to repent of those realities, take back responsibility for our faith, and rally together as the church because of our need for God and our awe of him. We have to be together because of our need for God, how he binds us and what he's doing within us. And if we don't see that, experience that, if we're not part of that, then we need to repent of that. We need to figure out why, and we need to lean into the presence of God. They were together because of God Almighty. What were they about when the community gathered together? If they, were, if they did this because of God, well, what were they about tangibly? What, what did they experience when they were together? Well, they were passionately devoted to a thriving relationship with God and his people. They were passionately devoted to a thriving relationship with God and his people. It says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. That word devoted there, they devoted themselves. We have to make sure we understand the concept correctly. This is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, nor is it a term of endearment. Learning a new instrument or a language, training for a marathon, any relationship, all of these things take work. They are really exciting at the beginning, but three to six months in is when it gets hard. Devotion isn't as evident when something gets started because that's not devotion, that's enthusiasm. Devotion is what you, what you see down the road, at the halfway point, after some time. Devotion is what keeps you going when your enthusiasm, enthusiasm is dim or gone. To be devoted implies intense effort, working at something, ongoing determination, continuing in something even when it's difficult, keeping on, holding on, not giving up, even when you feel like quitting. That's being devoted to something. Devotion identifies priorities and sees the rest of life through them. Devotion isn't reactive, it's proactive. There is a genuine sense of responsibility that thinks ahead and not just after the fact. This is how they're being described. They are devoted like this, committed to this, putting the effort in to what? Well, there was four different things. To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and in prayers. To teaching, to learning, to learning the teachings of Jesus, to learning the ways of God, to learning the word of God. And this is one there's really no excuse for, because Jesus said this is what it means to be one of his followers. He says in Matthew 28, Get, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. To be somebody that follows Jesus is to be baptized. To be somebody that follows Jesus who isn't baptized is to be disobedient to following Jesus. But then it says, And of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, is to be taught the things of Jesus, the life of the kingdom. Think about what Jesus did with his followers. He gathered them. He taught them. He talked, conversed with them. He talked about the kingdom. 
We cannot allow our bad educational experiences to dictate how we respond to the word teaching or learning or reading or things like that. This doesn't mean that it has to be academic heavy, but it does mean I didn't know this stuff before and now I'm learning it. I didn't understand these concepts before, but now I get it. I didn't know what it meant to live like Jesus wants us to live, but I'm trying to figure that out. That's what they were devoted to. They put the effort in to understand what it means to be the people God saved them to be. They were also devoted, they were devoted, committed, pursued fellowship, relationships. Spending time with one another was not just important, it defined them. Seeing one another once a month, every couple months or once a year would have been unfathomable to them. What? That would have taught, it's the essence of that does not compute to the early church. Following, say this a lot around here, following Jesus is a personal decision that every one of us needs to make. But you are not going exclusively into a personal relationship with him. You are going into a family relationship. You are connected to something. You are part of something. And so building relationships with others is, defines what it means to following Jesus. I can do, just do church. I can just do this God thing by myself. By definition of the God thing, you can't. By, at some point, if you think, and maybe you're watching this later, maybe you know someone that needs to hear this. I mean, if you're here, then, I'm, then maybe you're not the one that needs to hear it. So say it to somebody else. But the reality of it is I can just read the Bible and do this thing by myself at home. At some point, you're going to get to these passages in the Bible that tells you that's crazy thinking, repent, and get to church. We can't do it on our own. We need friends. We need Christian community, and you need to make the friends before you need them. You need to be connected with others before you need others. When life gets really hard, when difficulty comes, when the unexpected happen, if you don't have anybody you're connected with, then you're going to be alone in those moments, and God doesn't want you to be alone in those moments. They were devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, of a Jesus focus, of a continual reminder of who they are in Christ. They had regular times of pointing one another to Jesus, to the cross, to grace, remembering your identity, regular meals, celebrating the Lord's Supper. It was a time to be, we, we, if our hearts are prone to wander, if we are forgetful people who likes the newest shiny thing or whatever it is, we need regular reminders of who we are in Jesus. And they continually, we need to be devoted to reminding ourselves not to wander. It defined them. And last, to prayer. Coming before the Lord, not only as individuals, but as families, as a church family praying not just praying before meals god's blessed what i'm about to eat not just saying the same thing but daily regularly praying praying as individuals praying together we need to do this better as a church i can tell you right now if the early church was defined as devoted to prayer that does not describe new life lincoln park 
You know why I say that? Because anytime we do a prayer gathering, we have two to four people out of 100 to 200 people. It's just really hard not to think that. And so when, do you pray for this church? Do you pray for the people here? Do you pray for the leaders? Do you pray for me? Do you pray for this community? Because if not, that's why your spiritual life is boring. Because you're not engaged in it. We need to be lifting one another up before God that our lives would be thriving with him. Because apart from him, they're going to be dead and boring. We need to lift one another up. They were devoted to these things. To teaching and learning, to fellowship relationships, to reminders of Jesus and communion, of praying for one another. There was an urgency and a necessity in these things. We have to ask ourselves, do we have that same urgency? And do we have that same sense of necessity? N.T. Wright says this about these four pillars of faith in the early church. He says, where no attention is given to teaching and to constant lifelong Christian learning, people quickly revert to the worldview or mindset of the surrounding culture and end up with their minds shaped by whatever social pressures are most persuasive, with Jesus somewhere around as a pale influence our memory. Where people ignore the common life of the Christian family, they, became, they become isolated and often find it difficult to sustain a living faith. Where people go, no longer share regularly in breaking of bread, they are failing to raise the flag which says Jesus' death and resurrection are the center of everything. And whenever people do all these things but neglect prayer, they are quite simply forgetting that Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. We don't want this to be describing our church. We cannot neglect these things. And so you have to evaluate you and your walk with God in light of these realities of the idea of teaching and fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. And so ask yourself, are you a spectator, a hobbyist, or are you devoted a spectator is just watching things, just checking it out, in the stands, but not an active participant, if you will. A hobbyist is one thing among many. I mean, I have a lot of stuff going on, and this is part of all of that. It might not always be a priority, but you live a compartmentalized life, where here's my one hour on Sunday, and I might get back to it at some point. But devoted is all-encompassing. It's passionate. Who you are as a follower of Christ is part of every part of your life. And you are devoted to the things that strengthen that relationship with Christ. And so are you just watching things? Spectating? Do you just kind of pick and choose, like, when the Jesus stuff is cool, then yeah, I like that? Or are you devoted to that thriving relationship with him? We must be passionately devoted to a thriving relationship with God and with his people. What happens when you get a bunch of Jesus followers together like this? What happens when you get a bunch of Jesus followers who are devoted to growth and health of their relationship with God? Will you get a spiritually growing church? They make up a thriving church which impacts its community. What's the result when the devoted rally together? They make up a thriving church, 
which impacts its community. Next slide. So you see what happens as they redid these things. We get four descriptions of the church. First off, it tells us that they were worshipful. Verse 43 again, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Not just the music, even though there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, we, we step into that all the time. But worship, as we talked about last Sunday, is more than music. They had an awe, a profound respect for God in every moment of their lives. They, the, the, their gathering together brought a sense of awe about them that they took into the time when they weren't together. That we would be so full of awe and reminded of the bigness of God that when we go to work or go to school on Monday, it's still reverberating in our minds and our hearts. That's what being worshipful is all about. They were generous. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. It wasn't a call to say, you can't own private things. There was people that owned the homes that they met in. But they had experienced God's generosity and his grace, and it empowered them to be generous themselves. They did what needed to be done to help one another. And you know what? Sometimes what needs to be done to help one another is somebody needs to be honest and vulnerable and say, I need help. And some people need to be honest and vulnerable that the things that you're holding on to were never given to you for you in the first place, but so that you could help somebody else. Look at the blessings that God has given you and how they can bless others. Hear the needs of those around you and how can you be a part of God blessing and providing for them. They were intentional. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising god and having favor with all people this is now this isn't giving us a mandate you need to meet together every single day but you see an intentionality here you don't try to get together with that kind of consistently just by happenstance oh we just ran into each other there was intentionality about developing the community that they were a part of, of being together, of sharing things with one another, of being receiving not only food, but also just be, being grateful together and allowing that sense of gratefulness to pour out into others. They, they intentionally made that happen. And in that, they shared they shared not only what God was, they're tangible, but they shared what God was doing in their lives and it impacted other people's lives. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God worked through those whose lives were changed to change other people's lives. He didn't need them, but he wanted to use them. And this is how he chose to do it. And just like you and me, God doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. And he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. And so this is what described them. This is what happened when these devoted people gathered together, when these devoted people were learning and worshiping and praying and be reminded of who they were, when they were worked on those things and devoted those things and kept making those things happen, a worshipful awe enamored them 
generous hearts spilled out into others, intentionally pursuing community, and other people were impacted because of it. They were rallying because of God, devoted to his teaching, community, communion, and prayer, and it impacted them. That doesn't happen when we're disconnected. This doesn't happen when we step away. This doesn't occur when we expect devotion out of others, but not in ourselves. This doesn't happen when you're podcasting messages by yourself apart from others. Life is hard. Work can totally stink. Relationships are difficult. People can be jerks. Kids are exhausting. Emotions are hard to process, those, uh, process at times. But that, these are all the things that should not keep us from church, but driving us to community. All, many times, I've been here for a while, many times the reasons why people tell me that they need to step away and take a break from community are the reasons why they need to not take a break and step away from community. That they need to be with others. They need to be vulnerable. They need to share. They need to serve with even in the amount, small ounce that they have of energy left. But none of the things that we say, the craziness of all of it, should stop us from being together. Because the craziness of all of it is why we need to be together. Because you get so busy and so overwhelmed and it's so chaotic, and I understand it firsthand, that if we don't meet together, if we don't remind ourselves, if we're not devoted to these things, then we will be overwhelmed in hopelessness. Because we forget who we are, we rely on our own strength, we try to do it alone. And that, has not, that is not how God has made us to meet. We need support. We need an all of God. We need to be reminded about who we are in Jesus and what being different than the culture looks like. And that happens when we're together. Does it mean that extroverts become introverts? Does it mean that you have to know every single person in here? I don't care what your Enneagram, strength, whatever it is. There's nothing that you can say that makes an excuse to say, I don't need the church community. Because God says we need one another. And God says we can't neglect being with one another. And we need to swallow our pride. We need to let go of our fears. And we need to trust that God's way of doing things is best. And God's way of doing things is to bring people together. That they're not walking alone. But they're devoted to one, they're devoted followers of Jesus, making up a thriving church that impacts its community, both with inside the walls, but especially without. A friend of mine made the comment talking with him this week. He said, God does not call us to believe and behave, but he invites us to enter into a fulfilling, rich, and satisfying life in Jesus. And that's why we need to gather. For the right reasons to experience that fulfilling, rich, and satisfying life of worship, generosity, community, and impact that comes from God Almighty. Devotion, worship, generosity, 
intentionality, and sharing. Look at these like thermometers. Not a checklist, not a to-do list, but take your temperature. When you're not feeling it at church, take your temperature. How are these in your life? How are these? Are these part of your rhythms? Don't have direction or don't know what to do for the Lord? Then take your temperature. Are these part of who you are? When you're feeling disconnected, we typically point to other things as the problem, but we need to check our own health. Not that it can't be other things, but I have to ask myself, am I living truly devoted to the disciplines I'm supposed to be devoted to? Experiencing what God has for me. And so you have to be proactive. You have to be devoted. That's going to take prayer. That's going to take anticipation. That's going to take effort. That's going to be being active parts of what happens in this place, not just coming in, sitting down, and running out. If you do that, you have to ask yourself why. I mean, it happens every once in a while for all of us. But to every week, God didn't, want, God didn't give you a weekly checklist item to do. That's not why God gave you the church. He gave you a community to be a part of. And you need this place. We are meant to be a family of love who cooperates with God in making fruit, faithful, fruitful followers of Christ. A family of love. And you know what? I know for some of us, I know for some of you in here, hearing a description of a family might be really difficult. In fact, the, the idea of family is something that you try to avoid, and man, that, that's the last thing I want to be around. And I completely understand that reality. It's painful to be in a situation, maybe you were abused, maybe you've experienced conflict. Those things are horrible. I am so sorry if that has happened to you. I would never disregard that. I would never say, just get over that and come. That's not it at all. But I want you to know that when God talks about a church family, what he's saying is the way a family is supposed to be. The way a family is supposed to be. And maybe for you, the idea of a church family, you've experienced churches that have been spiritually abusive in many different ways. Maybe there was conflict. Maybe there was domineering leadership. Maybe there was failure. Whatever that might be, that's not what God wants. God looks at those things with disgust as much as you do. God doesn't want his community to be like that. I can tell you right now, this is not a perfect place. People will do stupid things here. I will lead the way in that for sure. But I can tell you we're trying. I can tell you we're trying to do our best. I can tell you we want this place to be safe. I can tell you we want this place to be a place you can come and be who you are. We want this to be a place where we experience the all of God together. And so I, whatever you have experienced in the past, I just want to ask you to give this place a try for what it is. Let this place show you what the family of God can be like. And if you're in here, and maybe you've been here for six months, maybe you've been here for six years, maybe you've been here longer than I have been, we need to be reminded what this place is all about. We get so busy, and there's so many things to figure out, issues to handle, whatever, we forget just the joy of the fact that oh, 
wow, this is our church. This is our community. This is where God is doing stuff. And we want to see him do even more. And I pray hearing this today reignites that in your heart. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for the salvation you provide. We thank you for your death on the cross and resurrection. We thank you for Pentecost, God, and knowing we needed the helper. We thank you, Spirit, for being in this place. We thank you for binding us. God, I pray that you would rejuvenate our love for you and for your people. We're actually going to close service by receiving.